Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This podcast is brought to you by eHarmony, the dating app to find someone you can be yourself with. Why doesn't eHarmony allow copy and paste in first messages? Because you are unique and your conversations should reflect that eHarmony wants you to find someone who will get you. How are you going to know who gets you? If people send you the same generic conversation starters, they message everyone else. Conversations that actually help you get to know each other. Imagine that. Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Cheaper Than Therapy, a podcast that journeys into conversations that demystify, destigmatize, and desensitize what goes on both inside the therapy room and in daily life. I'm Vanessa Bennett. And I'm Danae Logan. And we are seekers, soul sisters, and holders of sacred space. Every week, we sit down for soul-provoking conversations with fellow seekers, thought leaders, change makers, and even real people during live coaching sessions as they navigate the hard work it takes to be a human. This is Cheaper Than Therapy. Hey, everybody. So excited to tell you some news that we have. So we've heard your feedback and (laughs) we are listening. Just know. I hope you know that. So Danae and I have done a bunch of week-long intensive retreats and we've gotten a lot of you reaching out saying, oh, so long. Can you do it shorter? Right? Mm -hmm. Um, Feels like it's a lot of time to get away for some of you and we totally get that. So we've decided to do a condensed version of our retreats and we're going to bring it to you in a weekend. Yeah. You know what I love about this is we go to Idlewild, California pretty frequently, and it feels like a retreat escape like into the woods and just like almost like summer camp. It's so much fun. And I love that we decided to sort of merge the work that we do in these intensive experiences with the fun that we have in Idlewild and um, just like being out in this like really beautiful setting together. Totally. So I'm actually going to invite y'all into my home and we are going to have it at my house in my beautiful setting in Idlewild, California, July 14th through 16th. We're going to have a small number of spaces because it is going to be a more condensed version and there's less space than these giant ones that we usually do. So get on it if you're interested. But you know, you know what to expect. If you're listening to this, you know what Danae and I love to talk about. So there'll be <laughs> you all know the how good things. We do. You know how we do. <laughs> Codependency recovery, um, interdependence, shadow work. Yes. 
all the things that we love to talk about at nauseum, but we're giving you an opportunity to dive in those deep waters with us and like really get in it in a pretty condensed weekend immersive. Yeah. So if you're interested, there is a longer, more detailed explanation of what to expect uh, at the link in both of our bios, either of our bios. So get on it, y'all. It's going to sell out quick July 14th through 16th in Idlewild, California. Hello. Oh, hi. We're live. Good Memorial Day, everybody. Hello, guys. Danae is over at my house. So we are going to do a live, an impromptu live where we answer a couple questions. Um, can somebody who's on just send me a thumbs up and let me know that you can hear us okay? Because we have an external mic plugged in. I see a heart. Somebody just say yay or nay for me. Can you hear us? Check, check. One, two, anybody. No? Okay, I see hearts. I'm guessing that's what that means. Oh, hi, mom. My mom just joined. Hi, mom. <laughs> Hello. Aw. Okay. Thumbs up. Thumbs up. Okay, cool. All right, so we've got two questions we want to cover today. Yeah, and I'm going to take these off because like, all you can see is my circles and my eyes. So do you have the phone? <laughs> yes. So a little impromptu. The first question. Yeah. All right, so um, just abbreviate. Okay, hello. I would love to hear your thoughts on emotional cheating or friendships that had once been romantic. I have some real struggles with the idea that I should completely let go of people who I dated who continue to be friends. My current partner is of the opinion that men and women cannot truly be friends. My feeling is that there is a piece of patriarchy in there. That feels really yucky, and I don't even want to engage in a debate about it. I also feel that the people who are kind and supportive of me don't need to be eliminated from my life once they were a romantic connection or that they have romantic interest in me. Would love to hear your thoughts or if you have any episodes that explore this. We have some thoughts. We always have thoughts. (laughs) Especially about patriarchy. Um, Okay, so I've heard this argument, belief... Many times. I've heard it actually both from women and men. Mm. Um, You know that I have a very personal experience, multiple personal experiences with this, where I've had very close male friends in my life. And I have always fought for our relationships. So with my ex, uh, when him and I first started dating, my best guy friend, he was kind of jealous of how much time we spent together. And I made it very, very clear, like a month into dating, that I was not going to change my relationship with my friend in any way, shape, or form. Mm. Um, that this was an established relationship. He was one of my closest friends. Um, and like I could be there in support and to listen to him, my my ex, my boyfriend at the time, but I wasn't going to alter my friendship. I've also had two different experiences where very close male friends of mine got into relationships with women And then they essentially completely pulled back from our relationship because the women who they were in relationship with were not comfortable with our relationship, right? So I've got a lot of personal experience about this and I have a lot of strong feelings about it, but I'm curious to know what's coming up for you. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it goes back to that old, um, is it a trope of when Harry met Sally? Mm. Remember how they have that whole conversation about like men and women cannot be friends because one person will always want to sleep with the other person. First of all, I think we're both in agreement that that's fundamentally just hogwash. That's silly season. Um, Silly season. That's silly season. (laughs) That's the most old lady thing you've ever said. I love it. it. I say it often. I'm an old lady. Um, 
But I think, yeah, you know, it's interesting. Like, I think instead of saying like, this is ridiculous because if we're answering this question, um, you don't want to shut it down. It's like, we don't want to just like dismiss, like it is ridiculous, but can we be curious about the why underneath it? Right. So a lot of times what I hear, well, I'm going to speak heteronormatively and I'm going to speak about men in this instance. Oh, are you holding my hand? I am. I am. <laughs> She's got dangly, bracelet dangly bracelets on that are thinking. <laughs> I was like, oh, do you want to hold hands? <laughs> this is what friends do. Um, okay. So I've heard in heteronormative dynamics, a man say to a woman, I'm going to use this example first. He will say something like, it's not that I don't trust you. I don't trust men. Oh, yeah. I've heard and that. men only have one thing on their mind and they don't want to be your friend. Now, the level of um, offensiveness in that statement to me, because it's so funny because I was just telling you before we got on, I'm um, on the like most recent series um, or recent whatever iteration of Bridgerton, which is like a period show that's very much like they have like modern music that they'll be dancing to at the balls. And so it's kind of fun. It's a little bit like soft porn. It's just like a really entertaining show. Those of you who are not watching it, get on Bridgerton. It's amazing. Um, but what's fascinating to watch is the juxtaposition of the way that they hold romantic relationships. Mm-hmm. So the main characters often, because TV, are um, in love with one another. Mm-hmm. And so that's like the the storyline. But what they really highlight is how much... The idea of um, marriages being based on romantic love is a pretty new idea. This is something we talk about often, right? That women were essentially traded like property, mm-hmm. right? And so you were not in love with your husband. You were um, you were sort of bought and sold and like traded for like you were like lucky land. to be in like with him. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you were lucky if like, deal when he climbed on top. <laughs> he wasn't like really horrific and yeah. you weren't like traumatized by the experience. And they sort of showcase that on mm-hmm. the show. Right. Um, but it's fascinating to watch the way that like the men will talk to some of the women on that show, like, Oh woman with your little like woman mind. And there's an undertone of that mm-hmm. in the men. I don't trust him. Yeah. that You're just a, you're a simple woman who men will take advantage of. Yeah. Right. Like that, like, if I decide to be intimate with someone outside of my romantic partnership, if that's the agreement we have between us, that I won't actually want it. It will just be me and my simpleton woman mind that will be taken advantage of by a man. Like, it's just so like, when you really think about what you're suggesting, that's unbelievably offensive. Like that my mind is not complex enough to understand what's happening. And yeah, and I will just be taken advantage of? Well, and also, not only that my mind is simple enough, but also that, like, I can't take care of myself. This was actually an, a legitimate argument that I had with my ex, which was, okay, so let's say that is the case. Like, what you're saying is that I can't handle myself. Mm-hmm. I can't have an adult conversation with somebody who has romantic feelings for me, and we can't both be adults and say, like, I love you as a friend. This is never going to go more than that, you know, or go further than that. I'm in a relationship or whatever that adult conversation looks like what you're telling me is that you also don't trust that I have the capability of having that kind of conversation. I can't like quote unquote fend for myself, which again is highly offensive to me. And it's essentially gaslighting when you really think about it, because that's not really what you're afraid of. You're afraid that I'm going to be attracted to someone else and that I'm going to get, you know, swept up in a moment and something's going to happen. But it's in the same way that someone will sort of like, make jealousy about like, oh, I just love you so much that I can't like, 
tolerate the idea of you being with someone else and that like people will be like, oh, he's jealous because he just like, that's how much he loves me. But it's a little bit like... It's controlling. Exactly. Yeah. There's an element of control to it. There's an element of, um, and I think you've, I've heard you talk about this before too, this idea that, oh, that's all that men want. And, you know, telling me the woman, like, you don't understand, like, that's all men want. Um, you are also just reaffirming and buying into, again, the same patriarchal narrative that the only thing women are good for is to fuck. That's all we're there for. That's our only purpose, right? And that the only thing that men see us for is that. And so I would say to my male partner in that case, so you, man, is that how you see women? Because if you believe that's all men, then what you're telling me is you're also in some way or another buying into the same system. So let's have that conversation. Like, is that what you believe as a man? Mm. That women are only good for that one thing? Because if you don't, then we need to talk about why men are also playing into keeping these unhealthy narratives going, that that's all that there is between a man and a woman. Like we always talk about how women are some of the biggest upholders of patriarchy, yes, right? Yes. And so if we flip it back to those examples that I was talking about where the women in the partnership were doing the thing of being like, you need to back away from this friend because she's a girl, she's a woman, right? Again, talking about the upholding of the patriarchal narratives. So you as the woman in this situation are also buying into two things. One, again, women are only good for fucking, right? But also... I would say objectifying. But listen, sure. you know me. I'm just going to say it like it is, right? Um, but also that it's this buying into the patriarchal narrative that women are out to get each other. Mm. Right? Which we talk about a lot of times in our retreats, right? There is a reason why the system that we live in sets women up to be enemies of each other, right? If we can keep them occupied with being in argument and fight with each other, they're not going to open their eyes and see what's really going on. They're not mm -hmm. going to see the system in which they are a part of and the oppression that it causes for everyone, not just women, right? So let's keep everybody distracted by saying, women are catty, women are out to get you, women are this, women are that, they're just out to steal your man. And let's again, keep perpetuating those really, and I'm going to use the word toxic, really toxic storylines. Yeah. Well, so they're fear-based narratives based on limitation and yeah. lack and that, that and we ownership. are, well, that's yep. where I was going, right? So that there, there are only so many men to go around mm. and we need to be competing for them because they are at the prize, right? I love how you say this with <laughs> laughter. <laughs> Sorry, that, that tickles me quite a lot. Um, but yes, and and what you just spoke to is the fundamental ownership template that that is rooted in, which I believe we are meant to evolve beyond. And we are seeing this more and more. And this is why so many people are, you know, I was just talking yesterday, we, we went to this single on purpose event. And um, I was talking about like all these Pew research studies that they're doing about how much less frequently people are choosing to be in partnerships yeah. and that they're seeing like, you know, just more and more people are just choosing to like remove themselves from the game and either like, you know, date without a destination of like any sort of like we want a partner or they're just saying like, I'm really good. I'll just like pleasure myself for use pornography or whatever mm -hmm. and not do it all together. And so much of this is a lot of the narratives that we hear about marriage and partnership and what it is, it's like, why, why would I sign up 
for that. Like when you really think about it, like the, the traditional, right? Yeah, the ball and chain, the like we become like roommates. Nobody sleeps together after like, and it's constant. Like I mean, you know, we're, we're couple, couple therapists, therapists so we like, hear it a lot. What are like the most common narratives, right? It's yeah. like if again heteronormatively, like a woman want, never wants to have sex, the man's constantly begging for the sex. nag. Right. Yeah, the useless man who can't do anything. He's just another child. I mean, we hear all these narratives constantly. And so it becomes like, do we want to continue to perpetuate lifestyles that are not actually fulfilling? Yeah. Or do we want to say, if we are the co-creators of our own lives, then we get to decide, like, if we don't like what the template of marriage has been, here's what. It's our marriage. It's our partnership. We get to design that for ourselves. But I think so much of what doesn't work about that is the lack of life force mm-hmm. and eros and aliveness that comes with the belief system that I own another person. Yes. You know what I mean? Totally. Yeah. I was just thinking back again to that conversation I had with my ex. And I remember actually in that moment, I was really clear. And listen, I granted, I was like probably 25 when I was having this conversation and I'm sure it came out much more as like an ultimatum mm-hmm. at that age, especially where I was like, I'm not chafing it. This is on you. If you have a problem with it, like, there's the door kind of thing. I was very clear cut. And I will give him credit that he really sat with himself and sat with a lot of the jealousy that was coming up and was really like, no, you're right. I don't want to end whatever. Cause we were kind of in the beginning of our relationship. I don't want to end whatever's going on here. This is just something I'm going to have to talk with you about and sit with. And then ultimately over the course of, I mean, we were together for six years, him and that guy friend became great friends mm-hmm. and we all hung out constantly together, you know? And so Had that gone differently, like had he gotten defensive and been like, well, this is my boundary and walked away from it, like he wouldn't have had the opportunity, number one, our relationship would have never happened, but he made a really good friend that they're still friends, even though we're not together anymore. Um, And so we're also, I think, when we're looking through that very narrow lens of what can be a friendship, we're also, we're inhibiting ourselves from continuing to make deeper relationships um, and, and increasing, or I guess like, um, yeah, increasing like our social fold, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And I think, you know, something I'm obsessed with speaking about is the extent to which I feel like our relationships can be a really convenient place for mm-hmm. us to hide out and not take responsibility for the deeper layers of wounding and pain points that I think a lot of times we can just because we're comfortable enough in our relationships, say, well, you just don't get to hang out with that friend, right? Totally. But if I'm the person who's listening to this or watching this and this is bringing up resistance in me mm-hmm. because it's like, yeah, well, I think like respect is a big word like, that I comes that up, yep. right? When we talk about like, yeah, but that's just not how you behave when you're in a partnership uh-huh. and it's not about jealousy, it's about respect. And first to that, I would say, I don't know how much respect you feel like you have for the person that you think is you know, is so out of control of themselves that they're going to, to cheat on you. Do you really respect them? Do you respect this person? Because without like trust in who they Mm -hmm. are, I don't feel like you have a lot of respect for them, but the deeper layer of that. And this is what comes up a lot of times when there's infidelity is I have some sort of belief about what that means about About me, me. that this person has cheated on me. And that's where the pain is. It's not really about like, you disrespected me. And like, yes, betrayal is like, I don't want to minimize the extent to which it rocks our system of like what we have been believing to be true. Mm -hmm. But I also think there is something deeper in me not feeling like I'm enough or chosen or, um, you know, that if I were... There's just this like 
the the whole thing we constantly talk about like when i'm chosen that means that like this person will never see anybody else yep. and want them the way that they want me and that's how i know the love is real and i'll feel safe always and forever yeah i think that that just really is like outsourcing our sense of self-worth mm-hmm. and safety in a way that i believe we are called to evolve beyond. And I think that sometimes when we put these limitations on another person, because it makes us feel something that we are meant to give ourselves, we're really missing out on an opportunity to do some of that like deeper inquiry for myself around like, what would it mean if they were with this friend and they cheated on me? And if I think that's true, then do I really respect who this person is? Like, do I really like feel like my partner is like a good person because yes, I've had those exact same, I've said those exact same words. John and I, because he says a lot how he believes trust should be earned. And I always tell him I fundamentally disagree Mm. with that. And we've talked about this a lot um, because I believe when you enter into a relationship, this isn't just romantic, this is friend, right? Like any kind of chosen relationship. If I don't trust that person, why am I entering into a relationship with that person? Right? Like, I get it. We've all been hurt. And for those of us who've had infidelity or even like friendships that have exploded in your faces, right? Mm-hmm. Like some of us have been majorly depraved, um, uh, harmed, betrayed, harmed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, by friends. But I need to do the inner work around not allowing that to color every relationship I get into mm-hmm. after that. Right. Otherwise, first of all, what you resist persists. Um, where I'm, whatever I'm looking for. It's going to find me, right? So if I start to allow those experiences to color how I look at all my relationships, I'm really going to start finding, and this is just the way the psyche works, I'm going to start finding a lot of betrayal. Mm-hmm. I'm going to start finding a lot of reasons not to trust people. I'm going to start finding a lot of reasons to continue to convince myself that my narrative that people are not trustworthy is true. Right. And so that is actually on me to own. And again, going back to my ex, that was part of the larger conversation around my friend. He had had a really horrible experience with infidelity. And it was, I remember saying to him, I am so sorry for you. And it breaks my heart to know that you went through that. And also I'm not her and I will not be treated like I'm her and I will not pay for her mistakes. So whatever you need to do to work through that betrayal and that hurt, I will be here in support of you, but I will not be the one to heal that wound for you. Mm-hmm. I be, even at 25 pre-therapy, I was saying this to him, like, that's not my job. Mm-hmm. And so I do think there's a, a real self-ownership in Yes, I've been hurt before. Yes, I have quote unquote trust issues. But if I'm allowing those trust issues to be at the surface of every relationship, I'm never going to actually be able to experience any true intimacy and trust with anyone, romantic, friend or otherwise. Yeah, you know, I think this is just another one of those places where it becomes that trust just cannot be outsourced. Mm -hmm. Like that is we control what we do not trust and we control life when we do not trust in life. Like there was something I was meant to experience in that moment of infidelity with that other partner, right? Like there was something, and this is like the difficult conversation, but there was something about that dynamic that I was meant to tune mm-hmm. into something about our level of intimacy, where it was that I wasn't seeing that I wasn't acknowledging. And this is where it's really hard because so much of what our societal templates have been is whoever is sort of the perpetrator of the um, infidelity is the one who is victimizing the other person. Yeah, they're the bad guy. And the person who is the victim of the infidelity, um, you know, was just like caught off guard. And there was like, no, like 
you know, no awareness that anything was wrong in the relationship. And while I will say, of course, it can be true that um, we are caught off guard. And I will say, like, very rarely have I experienced in all of the couples that I've worked with where there's been infidelity, something about our relationship Mm -hmm. that was out of alignment, Mm -hmm. something that we didn't talk about because we don't go there some way that we weren't completely like honest, saying the thing. authentic. Yeah. Yeah. That we like certain things that we just didn't go there. We didn't talk about or ways that like, you know, that whole happy wife, happy life trope that like makes me that comes at a cost because someone is making their needs small. Someone is diminishing their truth and that comes to the surface in some maladaptive way. And normally it is, you know, I act out at some point when I can't take it anymore or whatever that is. And that's not like victim blaming, which people will often call it. It's just this thing of, can we understand Mm -hmm. what is driving the desire to do this thing versus saying, this is evidence that you just can't trust people. Because to me, that's just a little bit, I'm just going to say lazy, actually. I mean, listen, I know a lot of people have a hard time with this concept. I just posted a video this morning and somebody just this morning commented what you and I have experienced a ton, which is I don't believe that there's always two people in every dynamic. When you've been in a marriage with a narcissist for 25 years who did X and Y and Z and PDQ to you, Mm -hmm. right? We get some variation of this pushback a lot. Mm -hmm. And Danae and I get told in some way or another a lot that we are victim blaming. And Danae and I are both here to say like, okay, we can sit. I can hold that. Like I can, I can allow that feeling for you to come up and for you to essentially externalize and Mm -hmm. put the blame on me for being the bad guy, for being the quote unquote victim blamer. If that's where you're at on your journey, then that's where you're at on your journey. Nothing I say is going to push you to be in the place of what was my part in this. Mm. It's just not. And I'm not saying that to be, I mean, aggressive or a bitch. I'm just saying that like at some point we have to say, regardless of the situation, right? I think this woman even said like abusive. We are not victim blaming, blaming when we say, I am, I bet you that if you really sat with upbringing, unhealthy family dynamics, uh, you know, yeah, toxic kind of relational traits, like the way that you relate in relationships, whether that's codependency, whether that's not speaking up, whether that's, you know, allowing people to walk all over you, whatever that is, you went into this dynamic with that, right? This was not some quote unquote perfect dynamic that both of you as perfect individuals entered into and suddenly one person is toxic and you got taken for a ride. Mm. And here's what. If we're not willing to get to the place where we can say, you know what? Holy shit. Yes, this person might have been a monster. And I am by no means saying that what they did is okay. I am not by any means condoning behavior. But if we can't get to a place where we say, holy shit, I went in there with XYZ traits and, you know, historical patterns and things I brought from my my child, you know, my upbringing, all these things, then what's to say it's not going to repeat itself again? Because it's going to. And as therapists, we see it all the time. This is how these, you know, oh, this person's been in a string of abusive relationships. Again, I'm not victim blaming. This person is never, it's never okay to treat somebody horribly or victimize them. And why have they been in a string of abusive relationships? What is the common denominator in here? Oh, I keep going for narcissists. Okay, you're the common denominator in this. And when I say that, it feels very finger pointy and I get that. And also what is underlying your desire to be treated as such? What 
Do you know what I'm saying? Like, what is your underlying? There is something in you that is seeking out this type of personality. And that's what we got to figure out so that we can release you from this pattern. Right. Yeah. I mean, I absolutely hear and agree with what you're saying. I think so much of what I really speak to clients a lot about is like, let's take blame out of it. Yes. Because to that's me, actually what I said in my response. I think blame is irrelevant. I think it's more, can I understand um, what are the patterns of attraction? Because yes. there's this alchemy of like wounds seek wounds that are similar. And, you know, someone who is abusive in a very specific way will not be attracted to someone who they will say, and you will like watch like little subtle things. They will say something to one person and they'll have like a response where someone else, it's like they've experienced a similar energetic growing up or in another relationship and they will have the like, yeah, that's like a normal thing to People say. People are allowed response. to speak to me like that and it's totally normal. And they will like instantly, it will be like, uh, like there's a, a connection there. There's a magnetic pull. And so again, it's not anybody's fault. Mm-mm. It's just attempting to understand that if I can't to the point you're making, really be curious about what part of my wounding yes. was drawn to someone. And it's really important, I think, to speak to it in my wounds. I love that you use that. Yeah. Because that person. does take the personal element out of it. Not that it's not within you, but it's a part of you. It's not you. Yeah. Because right? your wounds aren't who you are. Yes, That's thank not you. your like, thank you for saying that. You're like, core self, but my wounds are, and I believe attempting to be healed through these dynamics of yeah. like, yeah, I had to like experience something that dynamics. horrible yeah. for me to say, I'm not doing this anymore. This is where this stops. But yeah, it's like holding ourselves with so much compassion, but I don't think it, I don't think it's empowering at a certain point to be in the space of, no, I was just victimized by I'm this blaming. person. It's like, certainly sure. And can I understand why I was drawn to that? Mm-hmm. Um, what part of me was drawn to someone who would treat me in that way? Yeah. I think I, I do think there's like a shift in the way we view victimhood. Mm-hmm. I think that the way that you and I view it is that it is very, I think some people step in victim, step into or hold on to their victimhood. It's kind of like when we had that conversation with Danielle Laporte and she was saying how people get addicted to their trauma mm-hmm. and people had a really big response to that video, right? I think what you and I are saying is is similar in its undertone in that victimhood becomes like something that becomes our personality, right? Like it becomes part of who I am. I am the victim in this. And so in doing that, I can point the finger and blame at other people or blame other people. I think there's a misconception that there's somehow power in that. And what you and I are saying is it's the opposite, right? There's actually more power in taking the finger back, continue, like not continuing to point it outward, but pointing it inward and saying... I'm actually not going to allow myself to stay in the point of the place of victimhood. I'm actually going to say, I got to go inward. Like, what is that part that I can own? And that's empowering. Right. And again, it's taking the blame out of it. It's taking the, like, no one is saying that what they said or did is okay. Um, but I think it's about like reframing how we see ourselves. Like, am I a victim or am I the empowered party in this? Yeah. I think um, we were talking about this in one of the groups we were running last week, but I heard something that was such a like moment where it was like the, the lie that patriarchy has sold women is that the trade-off for your oppression is righteous anger. Oof. And I was like, yowza, yowza. Oh my God. With that. Right. And that, I mean, we could get into a whole conversation about the ways that um, they have sort of, they, 
that the systems, the systems yeah. have used um narratives of like what it is to like be empowered that are actually like really disempowering to us as women. Like I, I just stay in this space of like anger and discontent and I hate my life and rah. And that that is somehow like the righteousness that I get to own because mm. of what is done to me. And I actually, to the point that you were just making, um, I think it is so much more empowering to me to say everybody in this world gets to be exactly who they are. And I am a victim of nothing. And I just get to decide how I'm going to be in relationship with people based on who they are mm -hmm. actually feels so much better to me because it feels like a reclamation of power. And so to your point, I think, um, I, I think we get to be a victim as long as we decide that we want to, whatever that means to us. But to me, I really don't find it empowering to find myself in a space where I feel like I am being victimized by anyone. So if I feel that I am being victimized by someone in some way, what I like to do is quickly bring the focus back to myself and say either, um, one, what's my 100%, what's yeah. my part in this that I can take responsibility for, or why did this the universe place this person on my path to teach me something about boundaries, about my no, about like what my non-negotiables are in relationship, because I believe there's always like all things are lessons that life would have us learn. So obviously this is something I was meant to understand. And that's why this situation has come into my life. Well, I mean, and as a depth psychologist, you know, depth psychotherapist, like one would say that every, like this, this is the initiatory process, right? And so if you look at initiations as always these kind of larger lessons, like initiation is the struggle. Initiation is like the jump off point where you essentially leave the village, right? Air quotes. Um, this is the kind of like descent into darkness. This is like the death, the metaphorical death. Then we're in this place of liminality. We're in this place of darkness. And mm -hmm. in the darkness is where the lessons are. Mm -hmm. The idea of rebirth or reintegration, right? This path that we're on of continued self-development and, you know, um, individuation, all these things that you and I talk about, that rebirth actually only comes when the lessons are learned. Mm -hmm. And so if we stay in a place of there, it's this other person, right? Um, they are bad. I am, I am good. They are wrong. I am right. There is no space in there for the lesson, for the meaning, because we are meaning making creatures. And so it's through that meaning making. And this is not that whole, again, to use the word trope, this is not the whole, like, everything happens for a reason as a way to bypass. There's a difference in what we're talking about, right? And because there, it's really important, actually, if you need to be in a state of anger to allow yourself to feel those feelings, if you need to be in a state of sadness and grief to allow yourself to be in those feelings, that is part of that darkness. That is part of that liminal space. And continuing to be open to what is the lesson in this? What is the lesson in this? Right? Because it's that, it, that is where the integration comes into play. And I think this is part of why. We have so many people out there running around uninitiated because so many of us stay in that place of darkness and we keep, we keep acting out of, we keep living out of that space. So we continue into more relationships, mm -hmm. right? We just jump into the next romantic relationship when we're still in that liminal space. We're still in that place of darkness. We haven't integrated yet, right? And so we just keep doing it over and over and over again. 
And so that is the thing. Like, at what point are we going to stop and take the power back and say, I need to really sit with this and, and do the slaying of the dragons, um, in order to step out rebirth on the other side, this new version of myself. Well, because our current societal paradigm has taught us that the worst thing we can possibly be is uncomfortable. So funny. I used to um, do hot yoga. And like when I lived in New York, I would do like in a really hot studio. And I was telling someone once about how like you stand in a mirror and it's like a 110 degree room. And I was like, and it's just like amazing because it's like this like confrontation of self in like this really potent way. And she was like, why would you want to confront yourself? (laughs) Like, What is that? (laughs) And I was like, I don't know, like it brings things up to the surface. And I love the way I feel when I like shed layers of stuff. But we're such a society that is taught like everything should be instant gratification. I'll get it to me tomorrow on Amazon. And like, I should never be uncomfortable for any reason whatsoever. And that absolutely continues in our relationships. And that absolutely is what I believe you're speaking to when we talk about these thresholds of initiation, like that is going into the fire so that I am alchemized and I am forever changed on the other side of it. Mm -hmm. But we are a society that has completely lost touch with um, the value in being challenged, the value in things that are hard and how we are changed by them and how we grow. And I believe we are collectively, you know, there's so much um, conversation you hear about, like, this is like the end of times and like everything is like, like what's happening. And I believe it is, you know, the destruction of what really wasn't working on a lot of levels. There was a lot societally that was like really unconscious and like the way we were like destroying one another and mother earth. And I think a lot of these structures are being demolished so that we can rebuild from a solid foundation. And yes, it's unbelievably uncomfortable, but I believe that's by design. Mm -hmm. And I believe that this is our collective evolution. And if we bring it back to relationships and the question that this person was asking about, you know, these ownership templates of partnership, I believe that we are going to, in the future, see relationships as a tool for further self-actualization, which is what I believe is actually the purpose of our relationships. So that whatever this situation with this person is bringing up for me, it's a mirror for what I have left to heal within myself, for taking responsibility for that within myself so that I can love you well. Not you are here to pacify my discomfort and make me feel comfortable by doing what I say at all times, because that's your purpose. That's... um a really sort of unintegrated, um, childlike way. Yeah. Childlike way of meeting what it is to partner with another person. And frankly, not really about them and not really about loving them at all. And so, yeah, I mean, I feel like really long circular response to this person's question, but I think the idea that we get to own another person is something that we are meant to outgrow. And it's a little bit of us pulling up our big kid pants and saying, yes, this makes me uncomfortable. And to the point you were making about your ex, it's my responsibility to get really curious about why. Amen. Oh, all right, y'all. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to share it with a friend, subscribe, and give us a five-star review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you want to connect with us more, find us on Instagram at Cheaper Than Therapy, the podcast. Hold up. 
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait, is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.